everyone, this is Dr. Do It, and you're listening to Leader Lab. Who are you and what do you do? Hey, David, thanks for having me. My name is Todd Dewitt. I am a professor for my first job at the Raj Sloan College of Business, Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. My second job increasingly is a, a big focus, traveling around the country speaking to a variety of groups, uh, mostly corporate in nature, about all things related to leadership and growing in the speaking, training, coaching space. How did you get interested in leadership? I mean, I know you, you went the academic route first, but what prompted your decision to even do that? Well, I mean, as a young person playing sports and being involved in school activities, it was something that was on my radar as important, even if I didn't think about it terribly deeply. But then after college and an MBA, I worked first before academia. I worked first for a few big box consulting firms. The first was Anderson, which, of course, now is Accenture. And the second was Ernst & Young. And at both, met some amazing people, learned tons. Those are world-class institutions, to say the least. Having said that, you know, we're imperfect there like we are anywhere else. And the idea uh, of figuring out what it means to show up every day interpersonally relate to people in a way that maximizes how happy everyone is and how productive everyone is became a, a focus with me as something we could clearly do better. And it turns out there's, a, there's an industry for people who want to focus on those issues uh, as a vocation full-time. And so I, I left uh, consulting, went to Texas A&M to get a PhD in organizational behavior, and I've been studying and teaching and preaching about people and productivity in cubes ever since. And so you you started doing that preaching in the classroom, and now you're doing it increasingly more and more to, uh, for lack of a better term, who I call the practitioners, the people out there doing the work that the people in in the on campus are studying. But you know what's what's it like straddling both of those worlds? It's tremendously fun and sometimes uh, a little difficult. The way I actually position myself in conversations just like this is I'm a really, really great translator uh, between those two worlds. So, for example, when I go give a talk to some corporate group of a few hundred people, I don't you know, make things up. I actually translate into stories, into practical tidbits, the last hundred years of organizational science. So there's this, there's this you know, big pile of research about why people show up at, at work every day and behave the way they behave. And instead of quoting theories and names and dates and statistics, I try to boil that down into digestible, fun, frankly, usable, practical takeaways from the science, but nonetheless, very simple, practical takeaways that people can leave an event from, go straight back to work and consider changing their behaviors immediately. That's fun. Hmm. No, absolutely. And that, that work, at least in the practitioner realm, has led to, well, Two, two, well, I want to say two books, but uh, I'm looking at everything you've got, and it's really almost like two and a half with that uh, 365 book. But talk a little bit about what you've written and produced so far in the book realm, starting with Leadership uh, Redefined and now The Little Black Book. Sure. It's actually a fun story. The reason I wrote something was because I continued looking for something I wanted when people said, do you have a good resource you can recommend? And I really didn't feel like I had the right resource I wanted. And the primary problem I saw was that, I mean, let's be honest, there's many, many good business-related, leadership-related books, that's for sure. Having said that, uh, I really wanted some that didn't just go after one slice of the pie. For example, a great book on motivation or some aspect of motivation. Most books are really focused on one slice and there are many slices of the what I call the leadership pie. And so I wanted to write a, a fast, easy to digest, highly practical, frankly, blog style um, book that as my second book. The first effort, which was readers, Leadership Redefined, 
was an attempt to give that practical, useful feel. Long story short, after a couple of years of selling that and got some great feedback, truth is I thought I could go even more useful, even more practical. And that's where this idea of the blog style uh, really took over my thinking and produced what is now the reincarnation of Leadership Redefined, which is no longer for sale, and that's the Little Black Book of Leadership. So I took everything I got in feedback from, from many hundreds uh, of folks kind enough to ping me with great feedback, and I took all the additional studies I had read, all the additional clients and consulting I had done, and I redid the entire thing head to toe to make sure we gave people a book that actually tried to give a quality, useful, practical dose of all of the major slices of the pie, from communication to decision-making to conflict to motivation all those different issues that comprise the big umbrella of, of leadership. And that's what uh, the Little Black Book's about. And then as a social media guy, learning from folks just like yourself, David, I, I started falling in love with Twitter and Facebook, LinkedIn, and all these types of tools, and they're really useful. And I started putting out daily ideas, little tweets about leadership. And people really, really took to those and started giving me feedback saying, keep them coming. So it became almost a daily exercise where I would tweet out an idea worth, hopefully, someone considering that might make them think more effectively effectively about what they're doing at work and about themselves as professionals. And after so many came out, people said the predictable thing, you should make a book. And recently we've got that little book of conversation starters, thought provokers out, and it's the little black book of leadership ideas. Hmm. It's interesting how that develops. You know, it's funny to see how uh, things like tools like Twitter are interrupting a lot of stuff, including book publishing. I know a few months ago we had uh, Marshall Goldsmith on the podcast, and he, at the same time that he released Mojo, literally the exact same Tuesday, he also released a book called Mojo Tweet, which is essentially like, don't have time to read the book, here's the book in a series of 140 character little tweets. And, and <laughs> I suspect it was the same thing. As he was promoting the book, he started tweeting out little elements of the book and then realized, hey, let's throw these all together. You know, I'll tell you what, uh, that insight is terribly important to me. Now, you were talking about me transitioning or, or kind of straddling, if you will, these two worlds, academia and practitioner. And here's what I find. People out in cubes, I'm talking about executives down to frontline professionals in the office in cube land. They are busy. They are stressed out. They are pushed up against the wall with deadlines every week. And what they need are simple, quality places to start thinking more productively about themselves, their colleagues, and the things that they're working on. And so one of the reasons I got into the writing and speaking business was because I felt there were some quality voices out there, no doubt about that. But many times they tried to get too complex for reasons that didn't make sense to me, when in fact, boiling it down to simple, quality places to begin thinking more clearly, more effectively about yourself and about your colleagues is what we really need. And so maybe Marshall Goldsmith's really on to something with that book and maybe my little uh, book of quotes is a contribution to that area as well because believe me, it's not about com com trying to understand all of the complexities. That's step two at, at work. Step one is to find simple quality places we can begin new conversations that might make us more productive. Oh, and absolutely. No, I, I totally agree and I, I think I think Marshall took it all the way down to the tweet level, but I've been a fan of, uh, for lack of a better term, sort of devotionals and things like that for, for a while now. I mean, I, I kind of grew up reading them uh, within my own faith, but then also I thought it was funny as soon as I was getting into business, the business realm had decided to start doing them. I mean, you've got things like the Daily Drucker and a bunch of other things now that are, that are intended to be not, not necessarily a download of information the way you have, um, the way you know your average 200-page book kind of lectures at you. This is almost just more like, when you you know when you run a class, it's a discussion. Here's a little bit, and then let's talk about it. Let's throw some questions out there and read it in the morning and think about it all day, and then come back to me tomorrow morning, and I'll give you another one. I've thought that those devotionals across many different types of faith were successful 
for many years, I've thought that their success is exactly explained by the fact that people, good, busy men and women, can get their hands around that and digest it. And, and something in a longer form is far more difficult to digest. So I actually think you're going to see a lot of what you might think of as uh, sometimes I call it micro training. Mini books, that's a big part of certainly my professional future. We're very focused 50 pages on something as opposed to 350 pages. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And not, not to mention the fact that, you know, as, as increasingly, you know, we, st- we launched our book last month, and the very first question I got from, from people was, well, is there a Kindle version? Is there an iPad version? And it was like, okay, all right, I didn't think that you guys would want that, so buy the book, send me your receipt, and I'll send you a PDF because that's all I could offer. But as soon as you transition into that, you don't need paper anymore. 50 pages becomes easy. You know, a, a book, you have to redefine it now almost as just it's long-form text, and that can be 50 or 300 pages. But that's all it is. It doesn't matter whether it's paper or electronic. Well, I agree, and I pull, uh, I sell more PDF of the books I have than, than the hard copies, to your point. And I don't think it's just books either. In fact, I'm experimenting now with a new uh, business service. I'm very excited about it. It's about micro-video training. So uh, imagine, if you will, a database of several hundred videos, each dedicated to a tiny, well-focused soft skill, such as running a meeting or, or, or effective communication with your boss or how to do an interview or, or whatever the, the, the soft skill in the leadership world might be. And and you use these as uh, an add-on to training at work. You use them as uh, some wonderful conversation starter people watch before they go to the next leadership retreat with the management team. Uh, but it's five minutes tops per video, something a person can actually digest, just like the devotional idea you were talking about. Hmm. It's, it's an intriguing idea. And if, if there's some way I could I can buy them all and have them feed them to me like one a week on a Monday morning and watch it and then move on, you've got you basically created a video devotional. You got it. That's exactly the way I've got it positioned in my brain. We're we're kind of doing uh, uh, demos of that idea right now and doing some focus groups. Well, very cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, content-wise. I mean, you, you're you're definitely onto something with the variety of different medium, and, and for what it's worth, it's it's exactly what I, we feel like is needed. You know, especially since. You and I are both sort of in academia or the academy, whichever, whichever you prefer, and getting out there into the practitioner realm, you can't just do it and, and write a book on it. You've got to figure out how they want to consume it, and I think you're definitely onto something there. But let's talk about a little bit of the content um, behind that. This, this being a leadership podcast, I wouldn't forgive myself if uh, we didn't talk a little bit, of, at least on your stance or your philosophy at it. And, and as best as I can tell from reading your work, one thing that keeps coming back is these, uh, these hidden rules or important rules uh, on leadership. Um, you can k- kind of describe that however you want, but I've seen it, you phrase it once as three most important rules, other times as the hidden rules of leadership. But talk about yeah. leadership and what, what do leaders need to know about it? Well, you know, my take is simple. First of all, in terms of a definition, a lot of people get very complex. And as we've discussed, I really, really like quality, simple places to start uh, thinking about issues. Leadership's one of my favorites. So a simple definition would be something like this, getting great things done through positive relationships. It's really important to, to say that because I think it's powerful, even if it is simple. And, and I would throw on the back end of that, that it's not about one or two things that if you get them right, somehow you and your team will be amazing. In fact, it's just about the cumulative effect of many small things done correctly over time. 
And so my speaking, writing, training, everything is about that series of small things that if we'll get them right over time, believe me, produces uh, a great leadership success. So when I think about boiling it all down, which is what many books and many speakers, of course, try to do, I came up with three things. And the difference between me and everyone else isn't that I have three things and they have seven or whatever the case may be. But mine really were informed, and this is hopefully what makes me a little rare in the space out there, uh, mine were really, really informed by both well uh, regarded academic study on the one hand. On the other hand, many years spent from big box consulting to solo efforts in recent years inside companies trying to ask myself, honestly, what's the most important thing? Honestly, if I was stuck in an elevator with a mid-level guy, a frontline person or executive, and they said, tell me something important, what in the heck would I say to them? And I've got three that make me very pleased and, and that seems to stick with people and they seem to see the relevance, which is wonderful. Number one is to reduce ambiguity. Number two is to be fair. Number three is to stay positive. And I could go on about each of them forever and a day, of course, but the, the punchline is quite simple. To reduce ambiguity is a reference to what it means to communicate great and, and, and make sure that you don't unintendedly create ambiguity, which is extremely common, whether it's a report, an email, or a face-to-face -face conversation. So I love to get people sensitive to the need to reduce ambiguity in all the things that they do every day. The fairness thing is, is, is a funny topic because most people at work really think fairness is about treating people equally, and I love to just jolt people awake and tell them, no, no, that's not what it's about. You treat people equally, yes, by creating positive work environments and transparent work environments. That's true. But you also have to treat people not equally, which means differentiating performance and recognizing and rewarding people contingent on performance. Not the same, but contingent on performance. That's what fairness really is if you want to talk about the difference between the okay groups, the okay companies, and the truly great ones out there. And then finally, stay positive. The, the sad thing about cliches in pop psychology is that people stop thinking too deeply about them and they don't take them seriously. And that's unfortunate because one of them, the glass half full mentality, has really become cheesy pop psychology. And that's unfortunate because there's a bunch of common sense and good science to back up the fact that when you will speak and frame things from a positive perspective, that is to say help people see the glass half full, they will in a measurable sense behave and think differently at work. And that choice is available to you every single time you communicate with people. And yet, unfortunately, that's not the choice we always make for a variety of reasons. The good news is that gives me a career. <laughs> I was hoping you might, you might say this, but I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you explained it as you, know, you have that balance between uh, the academic realm and, and years spent working both in consulting and now going it alone, uh, which is which is why um, you know we wanted to get in touch with you because that's what we're about at Leader Lab. But I was also kind of hoping that you would explain uh, the other differentiator, which is something to do with the little uh, demonic duck that I see in a lot of places that also have your name on it. What, what what's the deal with the duck? Well, the truth is, uh, I'll give you the, the slightly longer answer. The truth is, by pure happenstance, I happen to be uh, a person who looks a little more like a washed-up musician than a uh, you know New York Times quoted scholar. Uh, that's not by plan. It's just by by happenstance. I happen to have a shaved head and earrings and tattoos and ride a Harley and so on. And my my uh, uh, business partner once said to me, as I was thinking about whether or not I was supposed to clean up my image when I started growing a public image, and, and she said, no, no, you are who you are, and I think that's going to make you different in that space uh, compared to most folks out there, and good for you, just be who you are, and, and, and it's going to work for you. And, 
and you know what? She was right. And as, as I've embraced that kind of louder persona, if you will, I've looked for things that can add on to that and be consistent with that. And the duck is a really, really good example because it's cute and harmless, but it's also kind of a funny little evil character. Um, how I how I started using the duck. He's kind of a full time mascot. In fact, my joke is that uh, he's more popular than I am, and I hope to grow someday to be as popular as the darn duck. And make no mistake, if I could have gotten the duck to talk, we would have been interviewing him. Yeah, see, darn it, I knew it. I've heard that so many times. Uh, here's here's the story uh, very briefly. I, I was helping bathe uh, my then uh, I guess three year old son, and I saw the duck in, in the bathtub, and I grabbed it. And the reason I grabbed it was because I was working with a client at the time. Uh, coaching a team, a management team, and they had some dynamics that needed some massaging, to say the least. And one of them was that no one really valued candor near as much as they valued civility. And I wanted to find a way to get them to to change that and really value uh, some candor-filled talk, such as a devil's advocate would do. And so I took the duck, and you know, I took him to the client, and I, I started talking about the devil's advocate and how we're going to embrace this new norm, and I got them all on that page. And then I said, we're all going to share this role. I'm going to start with you, and I plunked the duck down right in front of somebody, and everybody laughed because it's such a cute, goofy-looking little duck. And because they were so relaxed from me facilitating and from looking at the cute duck, they started to have a conversation where they actually did embrace that norm about what it means to, to speak up and question lazy assumptions like a good devil's advocate should. And then the next meeting rolled around. I put the duck in front of someone else, and the next meeting I did it again. And by meeting number five, we didn't need the duck because they'd established a new norm of behavior in the group. But I loved working with the little duck so much, I started using them. I give them out at gigs. I send them out as promotional pieces, and people really, really love them. And they, 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 they too tell me that they find uh, the duck useful as a conversation starter about what it means to have great conversations at work. Huh. Well, you know, it's, it's a, a, an incredibly creative way to do it. I, you know, it's, it's funny you use the exact term devil's advocate. I was just rereading um, one of Sutton's books from a, a while ago, The Weird Ideas That Work, where he talks about the need for a devil's advocate. And it's it, it's kind of funny to me that you almost have to use a sort of playful duck just to, to get it, because it's, it's such a good idea. I mean, the, the example that he cites is that the Catholic Church, you know, every time somebody was coming up for sainthood, would actually assign a devil's advocate, a person whose job it was to find everything potentially demeaning about this person so that they would have the full story. And the, the interesting thing that most people forget is if devil's advocate sounds kind of nasty, the other name for that exact person was defender of the faith or promoter of the faith. It was actually the same role, which to me just kind of highlights that need for exactly that candor and somebody who, you know, physically takes it upon themselves to look at, hey, what could go wrong here and what are we not thinking about? You know, you never know from a feedback perspective. You never know exactly how people are viewing you. And I've, I'm in touch in different ways with many different people at this point. And I've received some feedback from a discrete minority questioning the use of the devil duck given the potential religious connotation. And of course, the, 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 the group is small enough uh, that, that I'm not concerned about that in the least, but I do, of course, thank people because it's important for me to understand how I'm perceived. Uh, but to your point, you, you just don't know exactly until you start asking for some of that feedback how people are, are perceiving you. Maybe the duck really works for some, but, but not for others. But from an authenticity perspective, if I'm going to preach about being authentic as a leader, which I do, then I've got to be uh, authentic as well. And I authentically like the duck, he's sticking around. No, I, I exactly. I like the duck. And you know what? To, to that small group of people that may, may find some sort of thing to say, you know, you could tell them. Tell them the Catholic Church story. Tell them, hey, you know what? This is actually the promoter of the faith duck, which was the other name for Devil's Advocate. Nice. Thanks for that. Hey, no charge. 
Um, well, the book, the book, the new book is the Little Black Book of Leadership and the Little Black Book of Leadership Ideas, both of which are uh, incredibly worthwhile. I mean, and not to mention there's a host of other free resources on the site. Uh, so when you're looking to pick up the book, um, check those out. And, and let me, I'll throw it out to you. How, what's your best method, you think, of people getting a hold of you? People get a hold of me. It's the easiest thing to do is just go through my home on the internet, which is www.drdoit.com, D-R-D-E-W-E-T-T.com, and you can navigate that pretty easily. And uh, through the site, I'm not hard to find. What are you reading now? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, I just finished uh, an old, what do you call it, um, uh, not a biography, but it's a kind of a kind of an autobiography of an old rock band from the '70s, completely unrelated to leadership, which you got to do once in a while because it makes the leadership reading much more relevant. It was about the Runaways, called Neon Angel, and now I just started my third reading of a quasi business related uh, tome called Atlas Shrugged, the only book I've actually read twice. I'm going for for three. It's a classic. You should check it out. Oh yeah, absolutely, and and uh, it, it's probably a good timing to read it because I believe the movie comes out this this uh, month, the first time somebody's tried to do a movie out of it. Yeah, I wish them luck, because that is one seriously epic book. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it, I think it'll echo most people's complaints about books versus movies, and that the book was better. Uh, with the exception yeah. of the Harry Potter series, I think the movies were better because they saved me copious hours of my life not having to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> Well, fantastic, and and uh, I, you're out you're out there. The new, the book is out. You're promoting that. You are speaking. But what else what else is going on in your life? What's next for you? What's on the horizon? I've got a lot of uh, irons in the fire, as they say. Number one, I'll always be writing something. Number two, I'll always be traveling around working with groups. I hope you'll find me through the website and ask me out. If I haven't been with you yet, believe me, it's a unique experience that shakes people up for the positive, so I'd love to uh, be with your group. I'm working on that little video business that I mentioned to you. I'm excited about that. I think that could be an interesting, value-added thing for people and organizations to use, just like that little devotional idea we were talking about. I also have some serious aspirations to start exploring radio because – there, when you look around, I'm always intrigued by this. When you look around the national scene, whether it's sports or politics or consumer advocacy, there's a there's a personality or two or three who are well known. But you look at the the world of Cubeland leadership, careers, all this stuff that guys like you and me are really passionate about, and you go, well, where's the voice on a national level through television and radio? There really aren't uh, people doing this, and I. I Really, I just refuse to believe that's because you know the topics are not important and people are not interested in them. I believe that personalities haven't been found yet, and I hope to step up to the mic and uh, and make a bigger audience that way in the coming years. Oh, well, fantastic. We'll, we'll be following you on that for sure here at the Leader Lab. And if if our listeners want to follow it, drdoit.com is uh, probably the easiest way to do it. And I'm uh, I'm I'll confess I'm on the site now. I'm looking. There's all sorts of LinkedIn and Twitter uh, links there too. So it it's, it makes it easy. All right. Well, Tom, thanks so much for joining us in the Leader Lab. My pleasure. You take care.